welcome to another year at Hogwarts. Sidious Black has escaped from Azkaban prison. Swear to me, you won't go looking for Black. Why would I go looking for someone who wants to kill me? Welcome back to the Daily Profcast. You are here for our Prisoner of Azkaban film episode. Right, so you will, by the magic of editing, just have listened to the original Prisoner of Azkaban trailer. And now we're here to discuss. I have been so excited about this episode since we started the podcast. So excited to share our (laughs) casting for this one. Is this your favorite movie? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Are you stoked about Half-Blood Prince? Half-Blood Prince is actually not my favorite movie. I think 7.2 is my favorite just because it's so visually stunning. It's like obviously the latest made. So they have the most technology at their hands. Right. And the visuals are just so good. It's just the most like adult movie, but I would definitely say Half-Blood Prince is close. It's so funny looking at watching 7.2 and then going back to watch Sorcerer's Stone and looking at like how they CGI'd the centaurs and stuff. Right. And you know what? I just rewatched, kind of off topic, I just rewatched the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I'm oh. so surprised for when those movies were made, especially in relation to Harry Potter. Just no offense to my lovely Harry Potter people, but just like how much better the effects and graphics were. Totally. And I just love, like I love their, yeah, just their use of CGI and everything was so good. I've also been, Mike and I have been rewatching the uh, Dark Knight trilogy and oh. I totally forgot that Sirius Black is Police Commissioner Gordon yeah Gary Oldman yeah <laughs> totally a great actor anyway so just to hop right into Prisoner of Azkaban this movie was released on May 31st 2004 so the book came out in 1999 the movie is released in 2004 in the UK and then June 4th so just a couple days later in the U.S. This was the first Harry Potter movie that used IMAX technology and released into IMAX theaters. Do you guys remember IMAX? I know. I was just, do they still have IMAX? I don't, I think so. I haven't gone in a long time. I know that like 3D movies are when you get the glasses or right before COVID, but yeah. Do you remember how great it was when like your parents would take you to the movies? Because obviously movies are expensive. And so to me, I felt like movies were sort of a luxury. It wasn't like a thing that you did all the time growing up. Like it yeah. was like special to go to the movies. Yes, absolutely. And I remember like when we would go to the movies, but it wasn't just a movie. It was IMAX. How much yeah. like that upped the ante of the movie going experience. I think I saw like a later Jurassic Park maybe in IMAX. I have a pretty vivid memory of a T-Rex, just really giant on a screen. And I remember that being very cool. The last movie I saw in IMAX was the live action remake of The Beauty and the Beast. Oh, was it good in IMAX? No, it was terrible. And it was a total mistake. I didn't realize I had bought IMAX tickets. I was like, I don't know why that was like the, it's not like that one is super action packed. So I don't know why that one would you know when you like go to a movie the, at the very last minute and you just scramble to buy what you can? Yeah. And then you get there and you're this wasn't what I was expecting, but I'm still going to enjoy this movie. Makes sense. Yeah. It was like a theater of 500 people, which even thinking about that with COVID gives me anxiety. Totally. It was just huge. I mean, the theaters in the city, especially in Times Square, are really big. Right. And I that was just the movie. Yeah, exactly. So totally crazy. So this was the first Harry Potter movie with IMAX and it grossed a total of 796.7 million worldwide, making it the second highest grossing film of 2004. Wow. And this film was nominated for two Academy Awards, one for best um, original music score 
yep. and best visual effects at the 77th Academy Awards. So in 2004, and probably the most notable thing about this movie was a very like drastic shift in tone and directorial style. Absolutely. So yeah, so we've moved from Chris Columbus, who directed the first two films to Alfonso Cuaron. And I think this is the only Harry Potter film he directed, but I absolutely love what he did with this film. This is absolutely just a theory. I have no evidence to support this, but it was very different from the book. And I wonder if perhaps the author thought there was just a little bit too much creative license. I don't know. That's just a theory. He's also, he also directed Roma, which did really well at the Academy Awards a couple years ago. He did Children of Men with Clive Owen. Gravity, so just, which is the one with Sandra Bullock. Alfonso was given the offer to, to direct Harry Potter in the Goblet of Fire, but he would not have time to finish working on the third film in time to begin the fourth. Oh. So he declined to direct both. Interesting. I thought, oh, wow. That means the turnaround for those films was really quick. Yeah. So David Yates did five, six, and seven, it looks like. Five. So who does four? Mike Newell. Oh, another one-hit wonder of the Harry Potter franchise. Yeah. Directors. Anyway, I'm a big fan of Alfonso Cuaron. I also am a big fan of the cinematographer who did Prisoner of Azkaban, whose name escapes me one sec, but I've had discussions with Austin. Michael Sarazen, I thought, did a really great job with this. So you are, do you have any more movie facts, McKenna? Um, no, I don't think so. This movie has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty good. We've, we've discussed before, franchise movies don't typically do well on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. It has a 90%, and that is, that's not, like, critics' ratings. That's, like, average viewers' ratings as well as critic ratings. So that's pretty high for a franchise movie. They don't typically do that. And then audience polled by CinemaScore gave it an average grade of A on an A plus to F scale. So okay. that's really high. I mean, but I can't stress enough. Franchise movies don't do well, typically. Because people are just, everybody always has something that they can be unhappy about, right? And, and again, it goes back to even in the book, there's so much intrigue in this one. And there's so much that's introduced in Prisoner of Azkaban that plays a huge role in later films and books. So I think that probably has something to do with it. Again, you said they were nominated for, did they win or were they nominated for Best Original Score? Just nominated. They did not win. It did win two Visual Effects Society Awards, but it, I don't, and it was nominated for some BAFTA Awards as well, but it right. did not win the BAFTA or the Academy Awards. So John Williams, who all of the like main themes we know and think of for Harry Potter, maybe with the exception of Lily's theme who, that was in Deathly Hallows, John Williams composed most of the music we think of when we think about music from Harry Potter. He was on the first couple films. I don't know if the, this was his last one. I think this might've been his last one that he was on, but I could be wrong. But I just think this score shines out of any of the other films. Again, I could be biased because this is my favorite movie, favorite book, everything. But I just think this, as a listening to this score as a music major, just there's so much that's so special and cool. Buck's, Buckbeak's flight sounds like something ripped out of a Wagner opera. It's so cool. So anyway. John Williams did do the music for this. So yeah. he was nominated for the Academy Award. Yeah. And just general critics across the board sort of said that this was a more complex, frightening, nuanced sort of look into the Harry Potter world. It was more adult. We got a lot more of Harry's feelings it was just there was just more depth both to the book and the movie so yeah i thought we'd talk about just like some differences in what we see between the first two films and this one because a lot changes with the directorial change the first thing i just i was just like trying to look at it with a more analytical eye when i watched it for this episode but the, the first thing i noticed is the coloring is completely yes. different we're getting a lot of like darker gray purples it's a lot colder. Yeah. yeah. Which makes a lot of sense because, I mean, one of the biggest elements of both this book and the movie is the introduction of the Dementors. Yeah. And that is like a life-sucking creature. 
and you sort of feel like the life sucked out of the room of the movie. It's just a little like tense. All of it's just tense. That's a really good, that's a really good assessment. The other thing is we get the change in our actor for Professor Dumbledore. Yeah. We lost Christopher Harris between the second and third film. Rest in peace, Chris Christopher Harris. And Michael Gambon plays such a different Dumbledore. Totally. Richard Harris, excuse me, I'm thinking Christopher Columbus. No, it's okay. <laughs> so yeah, so Richard Harris had unfortunately passed away. We get Michael Gambon replace him as Dumbledore. And it's it's just a it's a very different Dumbledore. And we're gonna see that especially continue into the other films as well. But Michael Gambon plays just so much more like harsh, frightening in some ways, like very just a really different demeanor. Richard Harris brought so much of the quirkiness and the fun of Dumbledore. And now we're getting just a much more intense Dumbledore. Yeah. And actually, so recastings like that, that have to happen because of an actor's death or whatever reason, like recastings like that, especially in a so well-loved series with a huge fan base is tough because the, you know, the fans are like, well, I was used to this person. I, remember as a fan not having so much obviously i was sad about richard harris but i remember not having so much trouble accepting michael gambin as dumbledore after richard harris and i do think you're right i think we moved away from sort of the quirkiness into more of the sort of serious dark and almost like gambin introduced the like spark of manipulation that dumbledore has which and the fact that it turns that was the turnover with this film is, I mean, obviously that was not planned, but it is interesting. Right. It's just an interesting thing to see. The Hogwarts grounds are Much totally different. different. I don't know if somebody ended up going on lock location to lock Tay and being like, oh, maybe we should make this a little steeper. But like there's a Hagrid's hut is like way across a bridge, way down a little ravine. And the Quidditch pitch is in a different place and the, the location of the forest is a little bit different. And just in general, the grounds are a lot like, they're not as even as they seemed in the first two films. They were kind of flat in the first two films. But yeah, you'll notice a big change in the Hogwarts grounds. And Professor Flitwick, I've never understood why they did this. They just like made him look younger and different. I don't know if he just got a really good potion regimen going between films one and two, but like- They completely changed work his whole Davis. vibe. Work Davis got a different look for this. Same actor, different yeah, look. Yeah, Work Davis, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's very strange. There's also, I mean, there's a lot of obvious plot things that are very different. Yeah, yeah, they change a lot of the plot stuff and a lot of the way things happen. Again, that goes back to my thinking that I don't know if somebody thought perhaps Cuaron took too much creative license with it but yeah that was all I sort of had there were two other like small notes I made as far as like fandom things are concerned the serious tattoos I get a lot of questions like where does Sirius get his tattoos that doesn't make any sense like prisoners didn't like congregate in Azkaban to give each other tattoos it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense in the book he doesn't have prison tattoos it was just a cool thing, cool looking thing they added for the movie. They're modeled after Russian sort of like orthodox looking prison tattoos with some Nordic runes thrown in. And they don't make sense with the book. They just look cool in the film. So that was- They pure- look good. Yeah, they, they do look good. I, I mean, I love the way they look. They just don't make sense. So that was purely a thing for the sort of cinematic side of the film. Mm-hmm. Harry mentions in other books, like noticing characters' scars. And like, he he talks about Alistair Moody's scars. He has never said anything about Ray, Remus had a, having facial scars. And that's something they added for the film. I don't think that's super outside of the realm of possibility though, because, you know, it says he would scratch and bite himself when he was transformed. And it's not outside of the realm of possibility for him to have scratched his own face. So I don't think that's like necessarily a bad addition. It's just not something we got from the books. Right. And especially because Hermione's sort of been putting the pieces together on what and who Remus really is. You think it would have been mentioned or she would have mentioned it like, oh, Snape's class and the scars and you disappearing every month. Like I put it together, you're a werewolf, but that's not one of the sort of things she lists as to why she knew he was a werewolf. Yeah. But in the, and you're right. And in the film, it does give the audience like more of a visual thing to be like, that's kind of weird. Right. You know, like most people just don't have that. Yes. 
There's also two. <laughs> Another thing I noticed that's different about this film in relation to the other ones. Watch it again and notice how many of the students are cast much more diversely than in the first couple films. And then it just goes away in yeah. future films. Alfonso Cuarón, whoever did the casting for this film, there was a lot more diverse casting in like the background students. The one actor, he doesn't even have a name. I looked up the casting to see if this student had a name. The actor's name is Eco. And he's the little black boy that gets like all these really profound lines. And then we never see him again. I want to know where that kid went. Me too. I loved him. Right. Um, yeah. It's just, it's a lot more diverse casting. And then it just went away in the, next, in the subsequent films, which is kind of sad. Anyway, those are my movie notes. I don't really have anything. I don't think more to add specifically than that. It was very different from the book, but I think they did a good job they had to fit a lot of content into a fairly brief amount of time. It's still long. It's two hours and 30 minutes, right. but it, there was a lot going on. And so I think the way he styled it just helped keep the flow of everything without lagging in certain places. So I have absolutely no qualms with how it was done overall. Totally. I think it's a great movie. What I've liked for the entire plot of the book to be completely included absolutely but again with editing that's just not going to happen one thing that i do think is weird that i realized recently they don't mention anything about the secret keeper and the fidelius charm plot in the movies no they it's very glossed over yeah yeah it's just like he betrayed them but we don't really get details on that which i thought was kind of funny right anyway but we digress um so i mean of course, like Aaron said, we would love if it had been five hours of all of the content, but that's why we hold out and hope for a long form series. Someday. Like I just, you know, praying that like HBO or something just picks it up one day. Yeah. And does something like really good with it. Yeah. And so one of the most fun things we do with all of our movie episodes is we recast all the characters for 2020 or now 2021 right with you know modern actors and actresses and hopefully doing a little bit better of a job keeping to the real ages of people because the movies are all over the place with that totally and again we wouldn't trade alan rickman for anything but because they cast him they had to also cast up remus and sirius Mm -hmm. so we get and james and, and peter and peter so we get these actors that are like way older than they would have been in their book ages and don't i love david thewlis oh I, yes I, I love him again wouldn't trade him for anything but not totally book accurate ages so we're hoping to sort of remedy that with our recasting fan casting fun time on the podcast we also decided so we are going to cast all of the marauders today because we decided that if we ever saw a remake of this film, we wanted a lot more flashback scenes. Yes. Especially in the scene in the shack where they're explaining everything. So we are also going to cast not only Remus, Sirius, Peter for their ages that they are at the time of Prisoner of Azkaban, we are also going to recast a James and a Lily that we would see in flashback scenes. So they would be a little bit younger. And we're younger. throwing in a very special casting. We are. We have a bonus that we'll tell you about later. That we'll tell you about. For you real Marauders fans. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think to kick it off, who do you want to start with? You know what, McKenna? I actually, I know you have an updated Snape. Do you want to start with that? I do have an updated Snape. So when we cast Snape in book one or movie one, I had originally said I was pretty torn between, you know, Adam Driver, who's not a British actor, and we do really try and keep it like British actors, and... Matthew McFadden, both of which, well, Matthew McFadden, definitely too old now, I think for the role, but I have been during this quarantine watching so much like British television, which is especially helpful right now when I'm doing these recasts. And when I saw Josh O'Connor play Prince Charles in The Crown, there's something about his like big ears and angled face and sort of pointy nose and he's handsome but he's not so conventionally handsome which I think Snape if he was good looking at all would be I hate to say that it sounds so shallow but if he was at all handsome it would not be in a conventional sort of way mm -hmm. and he's got this sort of quiet I love this casting McKenna and I talked about this Josh O'Connor's great and he's got this sort of like quiet 
demeanor that's also yeah i i i love this casting he plays prince charles in the crown so measured where he has so much anger and there's so much emotion but he really holds it back and then when he unleashes it's brutal and that's like the buttons on snape's outfit yes and that's just how i imagine snape to be like he can really hold it all in but when he is kind of triggered past a point it's scathing brutal anger yeah and i just think josh o'connor can knock it out of the park so well and so snape would be about 33 in prisoner of azkaban correct and josh o'connor's 30 so i think with movie magic he could be aged up just a little bit three years is nothing it's nothing exactly so that is my updated snape Okay, so in order of who we meet next, we actually just realized before this episode, guys, that we forgot to recast an Aunt Marge. So we're sorry, we don't have an Aunt Marge for you. We love um, the actress who does it originally anyway. And she's still around, so maybe we just recast her. Right. (laughs) But the next person we meet is Fudge, right? Right. So we did, we recast, we know we saw him in the second film, but he's got a little bit more to do do in this film especially with the buckbeak plot so we actually recast fudge for this film since you gave your snape i'll start this is kind of a funny one we try to stay away from actors who have already been in the harry potter series Mm -hmm. but when i saw timothy spall do mr poe in series of unfortunate events and he's just bumbling and looks the other way with these orphan kids and i'm like that's pretty minister fudge e and i just think it'd be i love i think timothy spall I mean, we hate Wormtail so much because Timothy Spall did such a good job with the role. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a brilliant actor and I, just, I think he'd make kind of a funny fudge. So that's my fudge recast. McKenna. So my fudge is really sort of on the opposite spectrum. Yes, it is. But I'm going to argue equally good. So we don't really, I, I looked on the lexicon and, you know, all of the other canon sources. We don't really have an exact age for fudge. It just sort of says like middle-aged. Yeah. And so I chose Daniel Craig of the James Bond franchise and Knives Out. And it's so funny. I think I chose him because of his role in Knives Out, where he plays a detective and he's, I mean, he has a ridiculous Southern accent in that movie, which is just, you know, fabulous. I love him in that role. But he is British. I mean, he is James Bond, obviously. And I think he could just play a really quirky politician type, like bumbling, but strange, you know, Fudge is kind of like a bumbling buffoon in so many ways, but he is also the minister of magic and like something about him had to be there to get him to his position. Yeah. There had to be some charisma. Exactly. That's and a good I point. think Daniel Craig could challenge the charisma and i could see him just like the way fudge sort of like fawns over potter especially in this i I don't know something in my head just says daniel craig no you know what and mckenna i don't not see it like when you're explaining i'm like you know what that makes sense and the charisma thing is especially true it's just funny to think that if that ever happened there would be a sect of the fandom like thirsting over Cornelius Fudge. <laughs> and McKenna just raised her hand. Yeah. He's 52. I, I mean, I think he is sort of the correct he looks age. Great. He does. I mean, you have to say it's in such great shape to play James Bond. And yeah. he just finished it. two years ago. He finished the last James Bond movie that he's going to be in. He does. He really looks great. But I think, I, I don't know. There's just something when I was really trying to think hard about who I would want to be Cornelius Fudge. And he's a character who in a weird way means a lot to me because I dislike him so much, but I also find him so intriguing and interesting. And I think Daniel Craig is an excellent underutilized actor. Agreed. And I would like in a hypothetical redo of the series and like maybe again an HBO long form TV series style I would like a bigger look into the political side of the wizarding world and if that were the case and there were more you're right Daniel Craig could handle that can't you just see little Percy Weasley fawning at the feet of Daniel Craig yes I can I can and just like him brushing him off and not remembering his name and how funny he would deliver that in a way that's like you hate him, but he also kind of makes you laugh and he's yeah. just so offbeat. 
so anyway that is my Cornelius fudge you know, no and I, I think it's funny but at the same time you make a really good case so I support that the next person we would meet on our list is Professor Trelawney and if you don't mind would you mind I know you just talked about your fudge but would you mind going first because I've got sort of a weird explanation for mine yeah of course so Professor Trelawney Sybil Trelawney is another person who we don't know her age we know her birthday is March 9th, but we don't know her age. There's no age on the lexicon or on Wizarding World or anything. So I mean, we, the only thing we know about her age is that in 1980, at the time the prophecy was given, she would be old enough to be interviewing for the divination position. Right. That's it. So I went with an actress who's 54 and her name is Ruth Gemmel. And she is probably like people listening would most know her as playing later Lady Bridgerton on Bridgerton. Yeah, she's wonderful. And she was really good in that role. And when I was watching that show, I just kept thinking like, she's so sweet, but she's so quirky. And I think she could bring such a fun, quirky energy to Professor Trelawney. And I just really liked her. It sounds weird. I just like like her face shape. I could see her in the sort of, you know, fun, quirky costume with big glasses. And yes, I don't know. I really liked her. So no, that's, I, I agree. That's my pick. That's a great casting. Thank you. Okay, so mine, short answer, I don't I didn't pick an actress for Trelawney. And here's why I had a really interesting conversation with my good friend, Andrew, who is a listener on the podcast. Hi, Andrew. Um, he's a brilliant just guy in general, but he loves Harry Potter and he always has these great thoughts and he always sends me really thoughtful just comments and questions after listening to podcast episodes. But we had this awesome conversation about how the tradition of fortune telling and palmistry and just divination in general is so closely tied to Roma and Romani culture in especially like in Europe, the Romani people are nomadic and they just th that the sort of visuals we get of like when we think of a fortune teller that comes from like Romani people who would open businesses or, you know, shops that would do that. And so I think it'd be really cool and it would give us a little bit more diverse casting because McKenna and I strive to make our casting just a bit more di I mean, it's England, it's, but it, we've tried to make it a bit more diverse than the originals because they could have done a little bit better in that department by our 2021 standards. But I would love it if I, I researched Romani actresses and there's not a whole lot on like current people in the business who are, who are acting and I'm sure there are. So I would love for there to be like a search for a really good, really cool Romani actress who like has that as a background in her culture. I love that. That's my Trelawney casting. We're going to find a Romani actress. Love that. Thank you, Andrew. Props to Andrew for, for that idea. Amazing. Okay. So, right. So should we do James and Lily off the top, even though we don't really see them in this? I think we should. Okay. So something that is really important to me in casting James and Lily is to remember that they were both like 21, 22 when they died. Yeah, they were 20. Yes, yes. So when Harry sees them in the mirror of Arisad in the first movie, we get this visual of people who look like they should be parents of an 11 year old, not mm -hmm. people who died at 21. And that is like their ghost presence. And I think that's something that, that they forever. Right. And I yeah. think that's something that the movie does that particularly makes me unhappy. And I understand why they did it because imagine how tragic and gut wrenching it would be for Harry to look in the mirror and see people like literally only 10 years older than themselves than himself. And it's that's heartbreaking. Right. But I think that in a long form series, we could explore these emotional complexities in greater detail. So with that, I chose younger actresses and actors for this. Totally. So who did you pick for your James? Okay, this is sort of a weird one. I've never seen this guy fan cast as James. He is an Aussie. So he's not British or Irish. He's an Aussie, but as evidenced by his roles that he's played, he's good at accents. He's Commonwealth. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I chose Dacre Montgomery. 
you hear that name, you might not know, recognize it, but you will know the name if I said Billy from Stranger Things. Dacre Montgomery played Billy in Stranger Things. He also played Nick in Broken Heart Gallery, which was a recent movie. And he just, Billy is kind of this bully in Stranger Things, but in the end, he makes the right choice. And he's just, he's suave. Everybody's sort of drawn to him. He looks like a jock. I think he is a jock. Doesn't he play basketball or maybe in one scene? But he gives me these like, James Potter confident vibes. Now you'd have to like darken his hair a little bit, shave his mustache, but I don't know. The second I saw him, I just, he gave me James Potter energy. And maybe this is just a weird thing in my own head and nobody else is going to relate, but that's who I see in my head. So I'm looking at him. He looks a little bit more like pretty boy than I think I think of. But then again, the casting I picked for James is quite pretty boy too. So He's maybe, so yeah, maybe we just have. Yeah, I see it. Okay, I'll accept it. He's, oh, and he's 26 years old. So could easily play 21 if you shaved him and, and, you know, darkened his hair a bit. Younged him up. Yeah, younged him up a little bit like Hollywood magic. But he's 26. I don't want a 40-year-old James Potter in the mirror of Arisette. I want a a 21-year-old looking James Potter. So that's my pick for James is Dacre Montgomery. Okay, so my pick for James also kind of a pretty boy. I chose Joel, Joe Alwyn. Yes. Boyfriend to Taylor Swift. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. He was in The Favorite, Boy Erased, Mary Queen of Scots. I don't know. He's young. He's handsome. He he's looks not like that young. He's 29. Okay. So I think he could be, he looks pretty young. I mean, he has a baby face. He, yeah, he kind of does. Especially once he's shaved and a little bit more clean kept, especially with like a little bit longer hair, uh-huh. kind of like side swept. He's, he looks young. Okay. I, I believe you. I just like his facial structure. <laughs> it sounds so weird, but these are the things I was really paying attention to when I was looking at potential castings. I literally pulled just like lists of British actors I within am a certain time. 100, 150 young British actors. Yep, same. I went on Wikipedia and they have every British actor ever yeah. listed by their birth year. And I literally went through and I went through like every one and I just narrowed it down. And when it came down to it, it's his hair and his face shape. And it's only because I see a little hairy coming out of that face. Like somebody who looks reminiscent of his father but also like his mother and i can just see it happening from that face a little hairy so joe alwyn joe alwyn and one thing i will say before we move on to lily i also have seen a lot of traction in the fandom for like james being cast as a person of color and then therefore harry being either mixed or a person of color i mean mixed people are people of color as well but but i also love that the fan favorite let's talk about really quick the fan casting there's a really popular fan cast or like just people that are really popular already as part of a fan cast that i'll bring up so the the original super popular one for james from like the early days of tumblr is aaron taylor johnson he's the Mm -hmm. one you always see in edits of james from his film nowhere boy which was about i think john lennon but he's their super popular fan cast the other one for if we were to cast James as a person of color, the other really popular one is Dev Patel. And I love Dev Patel, but he's too old. I have Dev Patel cast in a different role for a later oh, movie. Cool. Listen, I love Dev Patel. I'd love for him to be involved in our hypothetical project. So Me too. Dev anyway. Patel, we'd love to sign you. We pay zero. If you're listening. <laughs> Shall we move on to Lily? Yes. So who do you have for your Lily? Okay, so, so let's start with the popular fan casting. The popular fan cast from the early days of Tumblr is Karen Gillan. She was in Doctor Who. She was Nebula in Guardians of the Galaxy. She's wonderful, but she's too old now. She looks really good, too old now. The other, and actually the second sort of most popular fan cast for Lily that I've seen is who I picked. Because if you're somebody who likes the TV show Outlander in recent seasons, you may have been watching when Sophie Skelton was on playing Brianna. And she, I think she's brilliant. She's 26 years old in the, she doesn't have red hair in real life, but in the role of Brianna, they've got her in this red wig and it suits her so well. And she does a really great, I really don't want to see 
Lily as this sort of just subdued, doe-eyed love interest. Like I want a Lily with some fire in her belly and like a will of her own. And Sophie Skelton could nail that role. I know she's a popular fan cast, but like I support that fan cast. Again, she's 26. She would be great. So I pick Sophie Skelton. I'm looking at her picture now and I think I would agree. She would be great. Especially the red hair really works for yeah. her. Yeah. Who did you pick? I picked a 23-year-old actress. And right. let me tell you, I was hard-pressed to find somebody under 25 who I felt was a qualified Lily, but I picked yeah. Ellie Bamber. She's from The Lady in the Sea, which is a theater production in the UK. Nocturnal Animals would probably be the most famous movie she's been in. She was cassette in the BBC One Les Mis show, and she was in The Trial of Christine Keeler. I haven't seen her in anything, but she's beautiful. Yes, and with the red hair... And she kind of has a little bit more fire to her. Like you were saying, I don't want just a subdued Lily either. And she just really works for me. I like it. I like it. Are you so ready? My most favorite boy. I know. Are my you going to be okay? Favorite? I think I'll be okay. Do you want me to start? What do you want to do? Because this is important to you. This is very important to me. I'll start. So Remus Lupin, the popular Tumblr fan cast from the days of old is Andrew Garfield. And I love Andrew Garfield, but I just never saw him as Remus Lupin. He's I'm not sorry. Remus to me. He's not Remus. No, he's it's, too um, pretty, maybe. he's Yeah, he looks really cute. Okay, to be fair, I picked kind of a pretty actor, but we'll talk about it. He's Yeah, I just never saw it. So keep in mind, James and Lily, we were casting as like 21 year olds. Remus and Sirius, we are casting as 33 year olds. They're in, I think in Sirius's case, he would be 34. Their time, their ages at the time of Prisoner of Azkaban. So right. Remus as a professor, Sirius as a Azkaban escapee. For my Remus, I thought long and hard about this, you can imagine. And I went through a couple different actors. And eventually the person that I ended up with, I'm super happy with. So I picked Dan Stevens as Remus. You might know Dan Stevens from... Downton Abbey, where he played Matthew Crawley. Matthew? Yeah, Matthew Crawley. Now, I would, in a Harry Potter series, I wouldn't want him with the super blonde hair. I don't think, I mean, I don't know, maybe Remus could be blonde. But I, in real life, he has sort of this sort of sandy brown hair. He was in Downton Abbey. He was, he's been in a, a movie version of Turn of the Screw, also with Michelle Dockery, which was really good. He was Beast in the live action remake of Beauty and the Beast. You might recall seeing him at the end. That is not why I picked him as Remus Lupin, okay? But Here's why I picked Dan Stevens. He's handsome. Again, he's super handsome, but that's not why I picked him. I don't know that Remus, like one of Remus, they always mention how handsome Sirius and James are in the books, but they, they don't say Remus is this really handsome chap and he's chronically ill. I don't know that he's, not that chronically ill people can't be handsome. Oh my God, please don't take that from what I said. But I don't think that his hallmark trait as a character is that he's handsome. His hallmark trait as a character is that he's got this really intense melancholy all the time from all the stuff that's happened to him. And I think Dan Stevens would capture this perfectly. If you saw him do Matthew Crawley, even his beast, even though he was like CGI'd for most of the movie, I think he's got this really brilliant sort of melancholy and like sort of outside neutral face, but inner frown. And he can be sort of soft-spoken, but at the same time he can blow up when he needs to. He was also in Legion, if anybody watched Legion. I think a lot of what he brought to Matthew Crawley would be extremely applicable to Remus he Lupin. Just, he gives me such Remus vibes. And I think he's a brilliant actor. He's the right age. He's 37, I believe. That could You could plausibly, plausibly play a 33-year-old as a 37-year-old. I think he'd do really well physically, like portraying the effects of the condition on his body. He's a very, he's good at like character walks. I just, I'm really passionate about this choice. I think he'd be brilliant as Remus. And that's my, that's my Remus. I really like that. I think that is amazing. Thanks I love Matthew Crawley. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Anna. That makes it, you, I, when you approve, it makes me happy. I chose somebody a bit more. I also love your choice. Weathered. I chose someone more weathered because, okay, so my actor is 41 years old, which is older but my caveat is that Remus Lupin would probably look older because of that he all of the things he went through. Mm -hmm. So to think that maybe he looks, you know, like seven years older, I don't think that's so outrageous. It's not. Especially because I'm choosing James McAvoy. I love this casting. 
who is like so wolfy and I love that. It's Wolfie. Yeah. It's like weathered and the, he has just such a good like scruff to him. And I just could see him like playing the sort of like transitions into werewolf very well, handling the effects of Remus's conditions really well, like portraying that very physically. He's good um, at that melancholy as well. Yes. And if you've ever seen him in Split specifically, he plays somebody who has multiple personality disorder and obviously that is a very intense mental illness to live with and the way he portrays that character and sort of the effects that each personality takes on him and it's just brilliant it's really brilliant and I know he could handle CGI well because he was Mr. Tumnus in Narnia yep oh that was the first thing I ever saw him in freaking love that movie and I just love him he's got it I just love him I love him so much and I knew he needed a place in the Harry Potter world in my casting and so I just thought Remus fit him so well. And I know I he's older and there's things against him, but there's also so much for him. Yes. No, I, I really, I do love James McAvoy as a Remus choice. And he also, but he looks he, great for his age because he is very in shape. I don't think, honestly, I don't think his age is an issue. I really don't. I think you're right. I think Remus would, David Thewlis looked a little bit too old for the role for me. If we're going by book standards, again, I love David Thewlis. I love him as Remus. But by book standards, he does look a little bit too old for the role at the time. I think James McAvoy is Brilliant. like feasibly looks the part. Yeah, totally, totally. It's a big love. It's a big love. Yeah. Okay, my other favorite boy, <laughs> Sirius Black. You know what? You go first. <laughs> okay. This was really hard for me. It's so hard. So the traditional- You went through like, a couple different Siriuses too. I have gone through a couple different. And there was a time I wanted Richard Madden to be James Potter, okay? And I still want to find Richard Madden a place in this world. because I think I, he was my Lockhart choice, right? Yes, he was. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? I want to go on record. I had picked Army Hammer for Lockhart. Army Hammer is now a questionable human being who does questionable right. things. And so he's no longer welcome to participate. And I will take Richard Madden on- as Great. well rich and modern is our lockhart yeah okay i'm denouncing army hammer and it is really hard for me but yes but we he's do that. sketchy yeah okay so ben barnes is the traditional fan cast for serious black no comment yeah yeah okay so anyway what's funny is about these like 2012 tumblr era fan cast is that they know that they have been like chosen oh my god it's fandom. so funny it's so funny so just it's hilarious in general that the harry potter fandom had these actors aaron taylor johnson andrew garfield and ben barnes and then there were a couple different picks for peter dane dehan's a popular one but they have an entire fandom for roles they literally never played i know How hilarious is that and there's a video floating around the internet i do edit it on tiktok of ben barnes at a, a meet and greet with fans and somebody brought him a gryffindor scarf and a wand to hold in a photo and he loved it and it's so funny and everybody's screaming they're freaking out so they totally at least ben barnes totally knows that he's got this weird fandom for a role he never played i know yeah so i pick somebody who's 35 years old on brand i pick tom sturridge Yes, I love this choice. He's in Far From the Maddening, The Both That Rocked, Effie Gray, Waiting for Forever, Like Minds, probably his most famous role, and Being Julia. He has this, like, very angled, serious face. He's very brooding. Very brooding. I don't know. It's just... He's 35. Yeah, it just worked for me. I like it. Okay, listen, guys. I picked the fan cast for Lily, and... I've loved Chronicles of Narnia since I was a wee lass and I've loved Ben Barnes as Prince Caspian and other roles since I was a wee lass. When he was originally the fan cast, my, my pick is Ben Barnes because now he's too old to play a young Sirius. He's 39. He's old enough to play a post Azkaban Sirius. Oh, and I sure. think he, I still think he'd be miraculous in that role. He's totally handsome, but, but also he could, he's, what sold it for me was not Narnia. I didn't watch Narnia and think that's Sirius Black, even though that was the fan casting. What I watched was The Punisher. I don't know if anybody oh, watched The Punisher. Yeah. But he played Billy Russo, who's the antagonist, who ends up being Jigsaw. And he does sort of, not that, and Sirius isn't evil. Like Billy Russo is the villain in that show, but Sirius is this sort of pretty boy with a dark side. His portrayal of Billy Russo or like Nick in By the Gun 
is just it's like on spot on serious for serious or logan in westworld and those are all i know those are all sort of antagonist characters but but it just the brooding bad boy energy is spot on i just i'm not ready to give him up as the serious man cast so i would cast ben barnes now as a post azkaban serious i think he'd be brilliant i also think you got to think about how your actors would do together remus and serious mm-hmm. i think dan stevens and ben barnes would be marvelous together just yeah i agree that for a moment will you they'd be marvelous i agree so that's my serious black fan casting. Okay, what about Peter Pettigrew? Ooh, I'm excited about this one too. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Sure, I can go first. So I pick somebody who has been fan cast as Peter Pettigrew before. Yeah. And that is Jamie Bell, who most notably was in Billy Elliot, Rocket Man, Fantastic Four, King Kong. He has social n- no, that's a different guy. Different Not the guy. social network guy. That's a, I always get those two actors confused. He has sort of I don't mean this in a because he's actually kind of a handsome guy, but I think he is handsome. But he also I'm has some like rodent features. <laughs> I, he has some features that could be rat-like features. Yes, and I think with some cool special effects, it could just be a nice look. And he is thirty-four, so he's right on the money in terms of age. Yes. So here's my thing with Jamie Bell. You're right. He's been the really popular fan cast, and I he's brilliant he's a brilliant actor he's too pretty he's way too handsome so my alternate i had for peter pettigrew was william poulter oh my god yeah he's another one that sometimes gets fan cast right so i'd be happy with either i mean i don't necessarily i think jamie bell looks more rugged than pretty yeah okay like i think james potter is pretty i think Sirius black is like brooding in my cast that I made and I think Peter Pettigrew he's handsome but he is not pretty he's rugged and I think especially with the right special effects and the right makeup and sort of costuming situation I think you can make him look not like ooh hot you know but like that person is 34 yeah and has lived as a rat for 10 years you know yeah the facial i can see the facial features again we're not trying to diss jamie bell he's very handsome but i can see where you can derive the rat thing for a role with makeup and yeah okay okay so my peter if anybody has ever watched the last kingdom on which is a netflix series about vikings and and people in early english society saxon society if you will there is a character in that show that is literally if you took peter pettigrew and put him like in the middle ages and that actor who plays that character his name is harry mcintyre or mcintyre it's m-c-e-n-t-i-r-e mcintyre he is 31 and the way he played i think it's ethelwald they're all, all their names start with Ethel, if you've ever seen the show, and historically it's like Ethel Flood, Ethelwald. So I don't quite remember Ethelwald. Yeah, that's the same. But the way he played that character is literally so reminiscent of Peter Pettigrew. Just like the idea of self-preservation and only siding yourself with people that are going to protect you. That's all he did. He changes sides in that show so many times just to achieve an end to his own means because he wants to like side people that are more with people that are more powerful than him. He's not necessarily, Peter is written to be like a little bit overweight. He's not necessarily, he's the actor himself is not overweight, but that whatever they did to sort of put him in those clothes just made him, he wasn't like, he didn't look fit, which is also reminiscent of Peter, but he, just the idea of self-preservation and betraying who you need to get done what you need to get done is so prevalent in how he portrayed that character Ethelwald that I, I couldn't unsee it after that. So he's my choice for Peter. Are you looking at a picture? Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Okay. So I yeah, prove. that's our fan casting, guys. That's our... But oh, we have a bonus, though. We have a bonus. Go ahead, McKenna. And this is so funny because this is probably like one of my top 10 favorite characters in the Harry Potter universe. And we like literally never meet her. But the fan like lore and stories that we have all independently come up with for Marlene McKinnon is outrageous. 
I think I like Marlene McKinnon because I mean, I'm married now, but my maiden name is McKenna Madden. So I feel like it really fits. I, I mean, she died in the first visiting war. Her and her whole family were killed by Death Eaters. And I think because, and she was a member of the First Order of the Phoenix. And I think because of that, like we just have so much license to determine who Marlene was in so, our head. Yeah, it's hilarious. And so kind of the fan theory around Marlene is that she was in some way romantically involved with Sirius. If you're not a wolf star shipper, you're a black cannon shipper. And I'm a black cannon shipper. And that she was sort of this like larger than life, very strong, very headstrong, independent woman. I think there's a lot of, I don't think canonically we know her house for sure. No, we A lot of people put her in Gryffindor. I personally put her in Slytherin. She, I could totally see Marlene. Just with the fan version of Marlene, I could totally see her as a Slytherin. Because my Marlene is like strong and independent and she has a lot of Slytherin qualities like cunning and ambitious and incredibly loyal to people that she loves and I just see her like being in that house but not necessarily vibing with the like pure blood rhetoric of other people around Mm -hmm. her and finding her way into the Marauders fan group and I don't know just something about her and Sirius and like the whole vibe that I've created in my head for her okay so so the operative (laughs) term you're saying is my Marlene the Marlene I created in my head Marlene McKinnon is mentioned in canon I think a grand total of three or four times and the fandom took this one mention of her and I think the I don't think the one that did it was her in the order photo I think the one that did it was in Lily's letter in Deathly Hallows that Harry finds the the letter from Lily to Sirius she says I think Peter was just upset about the McKinnons I cried all night when I heard so this idea that Lily was somehow close to Marlene McKinnon thinking that possibly she could have been close to her age maybe she was her friend at Hogwarts maybe she fell in with the Marauders maybe her and Sirius had a relationship or at least a friendship has created the fandom has taken this character that was mentioned three or four times and has created this entire personality for her that we all agree on it's hilarious so yeah she's often sort of typed as the the personality wise like the female version of Sirius maybe with a more stable home life that's who she is she's usually cast as somebody blonde and hot and just really sassy and again we just love her she's not real in canon but like this fan and version of her we just adore her so we wanted to cast her as a bonus and maybe we could see her in some flashback scenes right and when when Sirius does show Harry, the photo of the order. He does specifically point well, out Marlene. It's, no, it's not serious in the book who shows it though. It's Mad Eye <gasps> It's Mad Eye Moody. Yeah, you're right. Yes. But in the movies, yeah, in the movies. But we all does. took that and ran with it. And we all have and we if you look up what does Marlene McKinnon look like, like in canon, if you Google it, it's this like blurry photo of that photograph from the movies where yeah. she has like long brown hair and she looks a little drab. And I think we've just all collectively decided that like Marlene McKinnon is a bad B and yeah. like we it's have accepted her. Yeah, we've accepted her as just this like strong independent woman. Yes. Another one that's just honorable mentions like other people that from the first order, we actually could theoretically Vant cast Emmeline Vance because she is in Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, we'll meet and, her. Yeah, we'll meet her. But another one that people like agree on personality wise and looks wise that is mentioned in the books like twice is Dorcas Meadows, who is another one of these like fan created sort of characters. And she's typically cast as like a black woman or a woman of color. And sometimes people ship Marlene and her, the ship is called Dorlene, like them being girlfriends cute. together, which is also cute. But yeah, we're going to fan cast Marlene for our hypothetical 2021 Harry Potter And not to beat a dead horse here, but I think a lot of the Marlene casting is derived from a big fan, you know, desire that she would have been involved with Sirius romantically and that like really only a very strong-willed woman could deal with Sirius and all of his antics. Could could put up with that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So with that, do you have a casting? I do. So this is another Outlander actress. The name McKinnon is vaguely reminiscent of something Celtic, either Mm -hmm. Scottish or Irish. So I picked a Scottish actress 
who I think is really brilliant in Outlander. She's the right age that we could see her with, like Sophie Skelton. And her and Sophie Skelton play off each other really well in Outlander. So I picked Lauren Lyle, who plays, not Leary, Leary's daughter. What's her name? Marcelie. She plays Marcelie Fraser in Outlander. And she's super strong-willed. Actually, her husband in that show is a, another like possible serious fan cast, Caesar Domboy. But look him up later if you want to get a good giggle of them together and see how po a possible Lauren Lyle would look like with a serious type. But she's awesome. She's got, she's really funny. She's got these, she's really strong and like she's a good leader, but she's also got these really witty one-liners. And I just love the idea of Marlene being Scottish. Love that. That's my Marlene. Who do you have? I chose somebody who's a little younger. She's 27, but I think she can play older because she has played older in different roles. I chose Lucy Boynton. Well, you wouldn't need to see her play older. She oh, yes, because she died young. That is actually what I meant. Yeah. So scratch that, taking that out. I did choose younger on purpose because yes. she died. And that I chose Lucy Boynton. Lucy Boynton. She's beautiful. She is. And she has a very sort of like severe, sharp angled face. Like she just looks like a girl who you like would not want to mess with, honestly. Yeah, yeah she does. And she was in Bohemian Rhapsody and she's in The Politician currently and Murder on the Orient Express is one of my favorite roles that cool. I've seen her in and Miss Potter. Cool. Yeah. That's, so those are our casting choices for Prisoner of Azkaban. We always have so much fun doing that. Yeah, it's the best part. I will, Sometimes when you get to the end of a book, it can be like, oh my gosh, we've been doing this for a while. We've been on the same book for a month. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then when you get to the movie episode and we get to do castings, it's, yes, it's the finish line. Yeah. Now I have a question for you. When you're reading, do you see the original cast in your head or do you see these people you're talking about or a combination of both or you do just not really picture? I, no, I do picture, maybe this is crazy. I almost just like picture like my own unique people, like what they would look yeah, like. Yeah, no, that's- Yeah, I don't know if I, I guess sometimes I like, I picture actors, but act mostly very rarely. I think I picture just like my own people in my head. So I tried, normally when I'm reading Harry, I mean, before when I read Harry Potter initially, before the movies or each movie came out, like I, again, I had my own unique people. When the movies came out and I would reread, I saw the actors from the movie. I tried as an exercise reading Prisoner of Azkaban with this cast in my head that I came up with. And it was really fun. It was like a new story. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah. Any closing thoughts on Prisoner of Azkaban? I just love this one. I can't wait to like get back to stuff about the Order and like flashbacks about the first war and the first Order of the Phoenix and or in Order of the Phoenix. But I'm also really excited to explore all the sort of wizarding school stuff in Goblet of Fire. I will miss Prisoner of Azkaban though. I'm very fond of this story. I've started reading Goblet of Fire already in preparation and it is reigniting a different sort of like Harry Potter fire for me. Okay, I sort okay. of finally feel like this book got me more into the series and now I'm picking up Goblet of Fire and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm really in it now. Like we're in the middle of it. This is great. So well, that's probably how I'm going to feel too. I haven't picked it up yet, but this is such a good primer to get me in the headspace to like really read now in our next film episode for goblet of fire we get to cast voldemort i'm ready i'm ready although nobody could do it like ray finds yeah he's yeah people could come close but he's so good he's so brilliant okay any closing uh, thoughts that's it i had yeah. so much fun doing that that's it so the next time you'll hear from us we will be doing a q a episode actually We've sort of already collected all of our questions for that episode, but we'll do more of them in the future. So if we don't get to you next week, it's nothing about you. It's not you. It's us. It's us. And we're going to be doing that with a wonderful guest. We're going to have Annika from at Queen of Smarts on TikTok on with us to chat with us. We just love her. We think she's a lovely human and a brilliant cosplayer. Oh, she's and, so uh, good. She's her so good. cosplays are amazing and she's I don't know. She just has such a great energy about her. And she also has a really unique perspective on Peter Pettigrew. And I'm really excited to pick her brain, especially in relation to us closing up our Prisoner of Azkaban discussion. Absolutely. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for being with us. Toodaloo. Good. Yeah, it was really good. Good.
thanks for listening to our latest episode. As always, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're not a listener on Apple Podcasts, it would still help us out a lot if you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions, comments, concerns about anything you heard in this episode today, please drop us a line at our Anchor profile. You can leave us a nifty little voice message there, or you can head to our Instagram at the Daily Podcast to DM us or leave us an email. Thank you.